3: Hello and welcome to the Eurostep Podcast. I'm Kane Pittman and I am joined as always by my good friend Ty Windish and we probably were hoping that this podcast was not gonna be for another couple of weeks uh where we reflect on the Buck season, but Ty, uh it all came to a, a pretty abrupt end on Saturday night.
2: Yeah, it sure did. Uh something we'd seen three games in a row going into that game happened again. Uh the Raptors fight like hell uh survive some bucks runs i think in, in every game even the one that was sort of a blowout there were some bucks runs at every point but toronto for the fourth straight game managed to withstand and and run back after them and and collect a win and all of a sudden the bucks went from being up 2-0 to having their season finished without a without another win after that point which pretty dramatic turnaround but i think says a lot about One guy, that team for sure. It deserved Toronto deserves a lot of credit, but especially one guy, Kawhi Leonard, who ended up proving, I think, without much doubt, that he was the uh, best player involved in the series, at least for now.
3: Yeah, for now, for sure. I mean, that that's that's a a good call, Kawhi. So the Bucks go down 194 in Game Six. You said that they did have the lead for. major stretches of this game, and it certainly felt like the Bucs were going to do it. They were going to go in the road and they were going to force a game seven. A pretty critical – well, not pretty critical, the critical uh, 26-3 run for the Raptors really, uh, you know, st- stole this game from the Bucs. And the Milwaukee were leading 76-61 late in the third quarter. Uh, obviously, after that, uh, they get outscored 39-18. to and go down by six points, but Kawhi Leonard had 27 points, 17 rebounds, seven assists, a couple of steals, a couple of blocks. Uh, he really closed this one out. And while he's shooting, you know, all series was, was not the best. He always seemed to come up with big plays in the fourth quarter, and in this one it was a couple of uh, big offensive rebounds. He shoots one for eight from three on the night, but the three is a huge one late in the fourth quarter where he gets just another ridiculous bounce. And the same end of the floor same end of the court that he finished Philadelphia season in. So this guy is just a killer. And, and uh, it's hard not to watch this series and, and sort of get more respect for him if you didn't already have as much as you possibly could. But as I said, uh, you know, I think that when you think back to game six and and Giannis said the Bucks weren't going to fold and, uh, I did see some people sort of suggest that yeah well they did fold but I'd sort of disagree with that I mean obviously when you look at the 26 three run there's a lot of things that you would look back on and, and like to change from Milwaukee's point of view particularly offensively they just could not get a shot but even when they went down eight uh, in the fourth quarter with uh, you know maybe there's six or seven minutes left they still fought back and got it to back got it back to within one point so I mean this team did not give up at any point uh, in the end they just weren't able to, to crack this Toronto defense.
2: Yeah I think pointing out the defense is the right the right way to go because it was pretty obvious you know after those two wins Toronto you know doubled down and, and got even better at doing what they do. I know Eric Kareen I think early on described the defense as a heartbeat It sort of it pulses in to stop Giannis and then sort of exhales and and everyone goes back out to cover up Bucks shooters and you know, we saw uh, a team that had no problem running over literally pretty much everyone they had played until this point. You know, uh, no losing records against anyone except the Phoenix Suns, which I'm willing to say there was a little variance at work there. But, you know, Toronto executed that defense to perfection. Basically, the only way, you know, to beat a defense like that when Giannis is your best player is for to take advantage of transition opportunities, which the Raptors didn't afford that many in most of the series and to really make crisp passes to the open man at just the right time and, you know, churning down good or okay looks for great looks. And, you know, the Raptors didn't allow a lot of great looks. Uh, the Bucks didn't get in transition a lot, like I already said. Terrific job by the Raptors. I don't think that defense was literally impenetrable. I think there were some ways around it, but I think we saw at times Bucks players sort of having trouble deciding – you know when's the right time to pass, when's the right time to pull a shot, when's the right time to drive, and just a second of indecision, let Toronto get resettled and, and lock things down again. A lot of great defenders on that team, and it was a puzzle that Milwaukee had. I mean, I won't say seven games to solve because they did solve it for about two games, even though game one was messy, but a puzzle that in the end proved too tricky for the Bucks or too insurmountable at least.
3: Yeah, it's it's crazy when you think about that. And I think that's why if you're a Bucs fan, it this one is so hard to swallow because I, I think if you if you think that the Bucs will get into the conference finals and they were gonna lose, then you would be like, Wow, that's one hell of a season and I, I think this is why I, I tweeted out after and we were speaking about this on Saturday night that maybe we'll just do a podcast in a couple of days because I think it's the right idea to just let the dust settle a little bit on this one and not dive straight into it after the game because it was tough and and when you know you you're not you're just not used to seeing this Bucks team lose consecutive games uh, t- uh as you said uh once they lost game four it was only the second time all season that they'd lost back-to-back games they'd never lost three in a row and that was a big reason why when you take the two zip lead you think well there's just no way they're losing four out of five like that I, I can't see any team beating them four times out of five well they lost four straight and the season is finished. So uh, I think when it comes to Toronto, and and you look at this series now over the entire six games, I mean, this was really, really comprehensive for the Raptors. And they probably should have won game one, and look full credit to Brook Lopez for, for carrying the Bucs to a win there. But, uh, I mean, this really easily could have been done in five. Uh, the Bucs, I think, for the, for the most part, for a very high percentage of this series, were beaten soundly by the Toronto defense, and this is what the Bucs are going to look at, and you pointed to Giannis and and the way that the Raptors were defending him, but Middleton as well, uh, uh, particularly after Middleton had the 30 points in game four. I don't think that we've seen, uh, or certainly Giannis has not seen, it. and he, he admitted as much uh, himself today that he has not seen that type of aggressive double-teaming from an opposition defense, and this is not something that is easy to adjust to in the middle of a series like that with only one day off in between, it's tough to do. And it didn't really matter where Giannis was on the floor. So they would be fine if Giannis was in the half court standing uh, at the top of the perimeter. They'd be like, yep, you can dribble. Dribble as much as you want. But any other touch that he got, he was immediately doubled. They would send Marcus Sol aggressively over to him. And they were prepared to let the Bucks swing the ball and try and shoot, shoot their way out of it. And in this series, they simply weren't able to do that. Chris Middleton was was much of the same. They were aggressively doubling him and making his uh, life difficult. And every shot attempt he got, it felt like w- was a really tough shot. So that's something that probably them two in particular are going to think about over the summer, hopefully. Bud will think about it over the summer and work out ways how they can get to ja- get Giannis in, in better spots if teams are going to uh, double-team him as aggressively as, as Toronto did.
2: Yeah, and I think this is something that a lot of people... Sort of called for, I know I've been talking about it for a while now, feels like some more pick and roll mixed into the offense would help a lot there, just to kind of, I mean, it makes defenders make decisions, right? Like if you run a screen, everyone involved has to do something. You can drop back, you can try to fight through it, you can hedge, whatever, but you have to do something, and then at least it makes it more complicated to defend the offense. It felt like, for too often, it was like Giannis at the top of the key just trying to do something, and... That was not going to get it done against this Raptors defense. That was pretty clearly very prepared for that. And I think that's one thing I look at. Another is, you know, you mentioned Middleton, Bledsoe. The defense made it hard on those guys, but they just are going to have to be better than they were going forward. I mean, even if there's a defense scheme for you, you just you can't put up those kind of performances as the two and three guy on you know that a sixty win team, best team by record in the NBA this season. And they just the Bucks just need more from those guys, full stop.
3: Well, I mean, I I would definitely I, I don't feel totally comfortable putting Middleton in the same category as Bledsoe because uh yeah, Bledsoe really was a disaster in, in the conference finals and not great in the playoffs overall. When you look at his, his numbers, he averaged just thirteen uh thirteen points a game, shoot uh, shot twenty three percent from three on, on nearly five attempts. I mean, this is the problem when when you talk about pick and roll. And I think they could have gone to Middleton, Giannis, pick and roll, perhaps a little bit more. But um, I, I just don't think that it was going to work if you were doing it with Bledsoe because the Raptors just didn't have to respect that guy at all offensively. I mean, there was they. I, I mean, he wasn't a threat, and the fact that he kept shooting as much as he did, I know that's part of part of the offense. It, it became as the series went on more difficult to see how you can even play Bledsoe. Um, and that's obviously a concern moving forward. You would like him to, I don't know, you would like his three-point shot to somehow, uh, you know, get to that, that mid-30s point. But, I mean, this, this guy's approaching 30 years old now. It's It sort of is what it is with him. And I think when you look at George Hill and Malcolm Brogdon and, and the, the way that these two guys shot the ball, uh, I mean, they were just far better than Bledsoe in this series, and the Bucks looked far more dangerous when them two were on the floor. So uh, Bledsoe, again, in game six, only eight points. Uh, he has a couple of turnovers with his seven assists, but he was a minus 10. Um, and, it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it just became more frustrating. And, and I, I guess... More difficult for the Bucs to do anything with their offense uh, with Bledsoe playing as, as poorly as he was.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this comes back to, you know, in, in the modern offense, in the modern NBA, I should say, when we talk about, you know, spacing and pace and all of those things, it's hard to play with more than one guy who can't shoot these days. The way defenses play, how smart defenses are. You know, if you have one and it's a guy like Giannis and he's going to have the ball, you know, that's it's not easy for a defense to stop an offense like that. You know, it's just there's so many options. There's so much space around him. But when there's two, all of a sudden you have one defender who's obviously going to be worried about Giannis and everyone else is too. But whoever's closest to Bledsoe just doesn't care if he has the ball in the perimeter. And we saw, I think that was maybe the most pivotal adjustment to lead to Toronto's defense doing so well. Pascal Siakam quote-unquote guarding Eric Bledsoe and really just not all that concerned with what Eric Bledsoe was doing. And like you like you mentioned, Bledsoe had no way to make the Raptors pay. I have numbers pulled up here from what I'm going to refer to as the real playoffs. So we're going to throw the Detroit numbers out because, I mean, no offense, Pistons, but without Blake for most of the series, it was, it was a joke series. It wasn't a real series. So in the 11 games, Bledsoe played against real opposition, the Celtics and the Raptors. points, 3.6 rebounds, 3.9 assists per game. No Less than one steal, less than one block. 2.3 turnovers, so not even close to a two-to-one assist turnover ratio. Shot 35.7% from the field, 20.8% from three-point range, 67.5% from free throw. Somehow still a plus 2.2. I'm guessing that's thanks to the Boston series and sharing the court with Giannis and Chris and a lot of these other players, but... I mean if you're shooting 35 20 67 and still putting up 11 more than 11 shots per game I mean it doesn't matter what the plus minus says doesn't matter whatever else is happening you're hurting the team at that point I mean you're just you're not helping if you're shooting 11 times and making that small percentages of them that's just an active detraction to what Milwaukee tries to do on offense and you know like like we both know we both mentioned I think the spacing is crucial to this offense I mean that's what the Bucks do and Bledsoe was not able to add productively whatsoever to the shooting in this series.
3: Yeah, it's it's the second year in a row now that you're going to look back on Bledsoe's season and it's going to be hard to forget uh, a, a playoff performance. And that kind of sucks because this guy, you know, uh, there's a big argument to say that he probably should have been an all-star ahead of uh D'Angelo Russell, he ends up first-team all-defense. I mean, just an incredible season for Farrick Bledsoe. Uh, and again, I mean, he had a really great regular season last year before flaming out in the playoffs. So it's obviously a concern moving forward when you, when you think the Bucs have just signed this guy long-term. And the question is, well, is this guy really someone that's going to help you in the playoffs? And that might be harsh, but that's where we're at right now. So this is going to be an interesting summer for Bledsoe. So I'm not sure, you know, I mean, he didn't speak today at, at exit interviews at all. So uh you know, we didn't get a chance to really talk to him. But uh, I I just wonder, you know, where his head's at right now. And he should feel great about the season he had. And and I can understand why the Bucks trust him and trusted him all season and and trusted him in the in the conference finals. But uh at the end of the day, the Bucks get eliminated from another series where you sit back and think, well, if they had got something positive from Eric Bledsoe offensively uh, they could probably win the, win the series and, and be uh, in the NBA Finals right now, uh, playing game one in a couple of days. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, they, they, he's just the one that stands out to me when, when I think about what individual players really were disappointing in the series. And listen, there was a lot of other issues with the box and the three-point shooting is something we can probably talk about. But uh, a little bit scary when you think about the money he's owed in the next couple of years now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a shame too, because it seemed like such a great extension when it was signed and like you said, I mean, we talked or at least I talk or we both I would say talk a lot about the concept of sixteen game players and based on these last two, you know, postseasons, Eric Bledsoe is seeming like an eighty two game player and that's you know, nice, it gets you up to sixty wins, but sometimes you need uh well not sometimes, you know, in the postseason you need guys who are just ready to go and i think sort of i guess a silver lining is some guys on the Bucks showed that they very much are ready to go malcolm brogdon for sure was ready george hill i thought in a lot of moments was ready i mean that guy was as steady as can be i mean talking about brogdon i just pulled up some totals plus minus numbers for the series and no buck had a more positive effect on the score in this series than malcolm brogdon plus 37 overall in a series the bucks lost two to four so Pretty impressive, and then Giannis for the whole series was plus ten overall. So pretty remarkable that M- Milwaukee wins those the minutes with those two guys on the floor, still ends up losing four straight games. I mean that's that's tough when you know that there are players who are capable of handling this Raptors team.
3: Yeah, I mean I still I still like the outlook of this group moving forward. I, I will just one last thing on Blood. So when did when the contract came out? Um, I think for the most part, it was received pretty positively. And remember, this is in the middle of of Burtsoe having an incredible regular season. So it looks like he's taking a discount or it looks like he's taking a bargain. But the one thing that uh, I I said as soon as his contract was signed, I said, this is going to be interesting to see how we view this uh, after the playoffs. Because Mm -hmm. if he plays really well, you're going to say, wow, that, that is a bargain. This is a great deal for Milwaukee. If he sort of doesn't play well like he didn't, then you look at it and you're like, oh, that's kind of a scary number now for a guy that you're not sure whether you can trust in the playoffs. So that's that's the nature of, of the business, I guess. That's how fans are going to look at that deal. But uh, I certainly was a little more cautious about my, I guess, analysis of that contract given that I wanted to see what we were going to see in the playoffs. So uh, look, I, I still think this is a guy that's going to help the Bucs be a very, very, very good team next year in the regular season. I I think that he's uh, at age 29. He's still uh, young enough. Even though he has had some injury concerns, he's still young enough that he's going to be uh, a really good player for this team and and a main contributor uh, as to why I still think they're going to be contending for a championship next year. But, uh, well, when when the playoffs do roll around next year, and obviously it's a long way away, uh, you're going to be a little bit nervous about it.
2: No, yeah, I I think so for sure. It's interesting. If you went back to right when that deal was signed and, and asked, I think, Bucks fans, would you rather have Bledsoe sign that and Miritich sign a similar extension or get Brogdon and Hill to stick around for more years? I feel like the answer would have been clearly Bledsoe, Miritich back then. And right now, I I don't think that's the case whatsoever. Um, just kind of funny how, how fast things can change in the NBA. I think it's something worth remembering things things can flip pretty quickly at this level
3: yeah no doubt uh, it's it's this is something that i think over the next we spoke a little bit before the pot over the next few episodes we're going to go through some of those guys in, in more detail that have contracts coming up whether it be lopez brogdon middleton all these guys and we're going to look a little bit more at that over the next week or so uh but yeah, uh, it's it makes things interesting when you lose and the decisions seem very easy when, when you're just winning games and for the most part, that's what the Bucs did all season. When you fall a little bit short uh, and regardless of... I mean, well, it's funny how we are analysing this this playoff series and then you sit and you think and you go, well, I mean, the Bucs had the best season they've had... Uh, you know, obviously they're full sure they don't get to game 7 as they did in 2001, but with, with the regular season, arguably the best season they've had since the 1980s, maybe maybe even before that. So, uh, you know, it's an incredible run by this team and something that I think the fans will look back on and and remember as a a really incredible year. But when you have a guy like Giannis who's going to win the MVP and you're as dominant as you were as the Bucks were for most of the season, this was a waste. And we spoke about that, that if the Bucs don't get to the finals, they've blown a real opportunity and you don't know what's going to happen next year. And that was one of the things we were talking about at exit interviews today with the players was, what do you think is going to happen? Like, you guys aren't going to be back. How do you feel about that? Like, this team isn't going to be the same. And, of course, they didn't want to get into it too too much. But when you think about this team and how well they've come together and, and just from being in the locker room, how much these guys love playing with each other, uh, it's... You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens and who is willing to to do whatever it takes to come back and play with these guys and hopefully go one step further. Uh, it, it's going to be a really, really interesting summer for the Bucks. But I'm actually a little bit disappointed, Ty, because you told me before this episode that you don't get to do an ad read. Uh, yeah. And yeah,
2: for me, uh, well, I think me and the Bucks are both done for the season now. Not really. We'll, we'll be back with ad reads after this, but. <laughs>
3: So uh, I guess that's me just expressing my disappointment that you don't get to try and weave an ad read into the into the episode. But uh, I think uh, we'll see how we'll see how this little pre-recorded ad goes. Hey, this is Jason Pat, co-host of the Cash Considerations podcast. Check out my podcast and others on the network by searching Blue Wire iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast players. All right, Ty, I think the, uh, one of the big issues with the Bucs or problems with the Bucs in this series was the three-point shooting. Uh, this was a team that really uh, followed the, the mantra, I guess, of the Rockets in years gone by, layups and three-point shots, layups and dunks and three-point shots. It worked for them all season long, but in the playoffs, uh, it didn't. And I, I, it's kind of frustrating because I still, when I look back at all these games, I think, well, look, the Bucs continually got pretty good looks. They just couldn't take advantage of them. And when you go down the list for the Bucs, Brooke Lopez, 29% from three in the playoffs. Eric Bledsoe, 23%. Nikola Mirotic, 28%. Uh, Ersan Eliasova, just 30%. Uh, I mean, all these shooters were terrible. I mean, Chris Middleton shoots 43%. He was... Uh, incredible in the playoffs, again, shooting the ball. Uh, George Hill was 41%. We know what he did in the postseason. And Brogdon was another guy who was 38%. So those three, Milton, Brogdon, and Hill figured it out. Uh, but for the rest, it was it was not pretty. And, and in the end, this is really what killed the Bucks. when you think that some of the performances the Raptors had. And, you know, uh, not to rub salt into the wound, but uh, the Bucks would be in the NBA Finals if it wasn't for Fred Dam, Van Vliet.
2: Yeah, potentially, but I think I think it's more than just certain guys being hot and certain guys being cold. I think, you know, this is another product of how well the Raptors' defense worked because, you know, the Bucks didn't happen to have like eleven of the best shooters in the league on their team. They, they had some good shooters for sure, but the ball movement and the the kickouts and and Giannis drawing so much attention and and Milwaukee being able to leverage that into open looks is what resulted in the Bucks making so many of their threes, in my opinion, at least during the season. And I just think, you know, when that offense is humming, those threes fall because they're just, they're really good looks. I mean, they're, they're just when an NBA player gets looks like that, they're going to knock down a lot of them. And those looks just weren't there in this series. Toronto was active enough in passing lanes and, and stopping Giannis and recovering and helping that. Like there just weren't many good shots from Milwaukee's three point shooters. And, you know, of course the Bucks miss some some good ones. That'll happen. But I think it just the Bucks need just need to be better in manufacturing offense. I think personally, if they want I wouldn't I wouldn't sit here and just blame the idea of shooting a lot of threes or just say, oh it happened to be bad variants. I don't think that's true. I think the Bucs need to make sure their offense is more refined going forward to be able to generate those looks, even when teams you know, are so prepared for them as the Raptors were. And maybe there is room for a little bit more of an attack that doesn't rely on open threes, you know. I mean, at times, for sure, Kawhi Leonard just went and got buckets, you know, in the mid-range or on the basket whenever he had to. And I think there is merit in saying you need a guy who can do that sort of thing in the playoffs sometimes. Sometimes nothing's going to fall far from the basket. You're not going to get good looks. Sometimes you do just need a guy who can go get a bucket, even if he's guarded, even if the defense is ready. I think Kawhi was able to do that. I don't think anyone on the Bucks was consistently able to do that late in games, and I think that was a huge factor in these last four.
3: Yeah, I I sort of, I wish I had the numbers in front of me and I don't, but the I know uh, looking at the threes, just when you said that you didn't think that. Uh, the offense was generating some great looks. There was a number, and I think it was either after. I feel like it must have been after game four because just thinking about the attempts, uh, the Bucks were had 164 three-point attempts through four games in the series. I'd love to check the last two. I, I will certainly do that. But uh, and and 95 of those 164, so over well over 50 percent of their attempts were classes wide open. Uh, they were shooting twenty nine percent on those. <laughs> so, Ooh. so uh, while I will agree, I mean, when you look at the Bucks look down, down, down the roster, some of these guys that were, were hitting so many threes, then I mean, they're not lights out shooters. They're certainly capable and guys that you think can hit o- open threes, um, but. Yeah, I mean, that number's not good. And uh, like I said, I would have to check the last couple of games and see how that played out, uh, whether those numbers continued. Certainly, they came out firing early in game six and were hitting uh, a, a bunch of threes. But yeah, that number's not great. Uh, and, and Milwaukee clearly struggled to hit open threes. I certainly don't think it's something that you you look at and say, well, mm, dude, that, that strategy didn't work. We, we uh, can't go to that. I, the only thing I will say... Um, and I know there was a lot of sort of frustration from Bucks fans after Game uh, Five, where Middleton only has nine shot attempts, the Bucks go down at home. I, just, I, mean, that's sort of the Bucks offense, and they will not give the ball to one guy. They 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 trust everyone. The shots are always so balanced, but I just probably would have liked to see Bud say, "Well, you know what." We are struggling. Let's get the ball in Chris's hands. He's coming off a 30-point game, and I think it, the, the blame has to be shared. This isn't like saying that that it's not Chris. I mean, clearly, he was so focused with what he was doing on Kawhi Leonard down the other end, but I just think he's too important, and he was shooting the ball too well to only have nine shots, and I, I think that, as I said, you need to sort of share the blame there with Bud and also Chris for the fact that he just didn't get enough shots up, you uh, in, in a couple of moments in this series, where you're like, okay, get the ball in Chris's hands and let's let let's let him do something, because uh, the other guys weren't really getting it done. And when you think about the Bucks' offense, there's only three guys for mine. I mean, Brogdon certainly can get his own shot, but there's only three guys through the regular season, I'm like, yeah, give them the ball and they might be able to do something. Obviously, Giannis, Chris is yellow, and at times, Bledsoe, but he, he was a non-factor in this series. So really, it had to be Chris and Giannis. And uh, I'm just not sure whether Chris was put in enough situations to to really uh, affect this series offensively, particularly even uh, you know in game six, the late. Uh, he, he He started really well and then sort of faded out as the game went on.
2: Yeah, I think certainly the Bucks could and should sort of ask for more of Chris just, like, you know, go get a bucket, Chris. I, I agree with you. I think that was something where he does have the skill set to do that, and I, I felt like his shot wasn't terrific this series. His, uh within the three-point shot. But I, I think there is certainly room for him doing more. So you are right, and the numbers make me look stupid. So in the last two games, <laughs> the Bucks took – Fifty nine open or wide open threes. Uh, on the wide open ones, they were okay, but not very good. Thirty seven point eight percent. That's not great for wide open shots, but it's not awful. Yeah. On the open shots, four to six feet of space, twenty one percent, which is really bad. They were just three for fourteen, and allegedly they only took six tightly contested shots, two to four feet, zero very tightly ones. I felt like there was more contested threes than that, but whatever. I, I don't. I'm not going to say the numbers are wrong. I'm not not going to put on my tinfoil hat quite yet, but. <laughs> I think one of the interesting things is it almost feels like Milwaukee's sort of strategy was used against them because second in attempted threes in the se- in the last two games, I'm not looking at the whole series right now, but over those last two wins for Toronto, Bledsoe was tied for second in three points attempted with 10. So, I mean, honestly, the variance kind of shakes both ways. I mean, Brogdon was good. He shot 36% over those two games. Chris shot 40%. George Hill shot 33, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. Brooke Lopez had a rough shooting game in those two, one for seven. But to make up for it, Giannis shoots 50% from three-point range over games five and six. So, And then Miritich over for three. He he was just a disaster constantly. But I do think some of the reason some of those open looks might not have fallen is a lot of the times it was Bledsoe, Giannis, or someone who's just completely struggling like Miritich who was able to take them. I think felt to me at least like, the Raptors used a little bit of the Bucks' medicine against them in terms of three-point defense in the series.
3: Yeah, I think that's a fair call. I mean, it, there was—it's—it's it's kind of funny. I mean, the Bucs were, you know, in double overtime in Game Three, so just a shot or two away from taking a three-zero lead. I'm really, uh, you know, being one step away from the finals. So it just feels—it's it, so strange. I mean, it, it feels like there's so many negatives to come from this series. Uh, and really, really, at the end of the day, a shot or two, maybe an offensive rebound or two. When you think the game five in the fourth quarter, and the Bucks, you know, maybe win the series. So, I think from that point of view, you have to be confident moving forward that this team can make uh, a few more of those plays moving forward, and, and things will change. Uh, we haven't really spoke about Giannis. We sort of flirted around uh, that. Uh, his postseason is interesting to me because uh, I think that. He struggled to get to his usual spots that we've seen. Obviously, you know the efficiency. He's insane efficiency. First of all, was not quite where he would have liked it to be. Um, He shoots forty nine percent from the field across the playoffs, which again is is a low number for him. I think the three point shooting was a positive. He shot thirty three percent on three point seven attempts a game. Um, So. Look, uh, certainly some positives from Giannis, but it's so crazy to me that you look back and say, well, he wasn't at his absolute dominant best. Uh, he still averages 25 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, a steal, two blocks in the playoffs. Just like ridiculous numbers for a guy that you felt wasn't at his best. I mean, how would you assess his uh, postseason when you when you look back at it now?
2: Um, I mean, through two rounds, it was terrific. I thought uh, clearly some early struggles against the Celtics in game one, but it felt like, after that, Boston wasn't really able to do anything about him. But I think the Raptors, you know, as teams keep trying, sort of showed a new blueprint. You know, for a while it was teams using their centers to try and stop him. And it didn't seem like that worked for too long before Giannis sort of figured out how to beat that. And now it's, you know, put a bigger forward and help a lot with those centers. Don't just use them straight up and and sort of try to cover the other guys as it may. And I think... I think this is, the complicated part about this is I don't think this is a situation where he can just learn to beat two or three guys to the rim and, and get dunked all the time. I agree. I know you've, we've talked about this. You've noted this. I mean, he missed some good opportunities in, the, in this series, I thought. I don't know if he was just a little bit rattled or what, but he would get to the rim sometimes and have a look where usually it would be a flush or an easy lay-in for him, and he didn't quite convert. Maybe that's the first conference finals trip stuff setting in. Maybe it's some of the free throw stuff, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. I'm not sure. But for me, the big adjustments he needs to make, or the big adjustment he needs to make going forward, is figuring out exactly when to make those passes when he sees the defenses collapse on him. Because I don't think even Giannis, who probably the best in a very long time, one of the best ever at attacking the rim and just using his length, his speed, his strength, everything else. Even he, I don't think, should consistently try to beat two or three defenders folding it. I just folding in on him. I just don't think it's a good way to go about things. I think he needs to really learn how to fire off the passes to the open guy at just the right moment. I think I think he should spend a lot of time this summer watching LeBron tape because I think that's something that LeBron probably the best ever at is driving and knowing exactly where the ball needs to go.
3: Yeah, I think this was—I uh, think this series and, and the way it ended and the way it uh, went for him is just a, a learning experience. I think that's the best way to explain that. Now, obviously, you would hope that uh, you don't need to lose and have that learning experience. You hope you just win, win the whole the whole thing. But uh, he'll take the love from that, and, and he was pretty positive today at exit interviews when we were talking to him about uh, the series and, and what's next. Uh, he said that. Yeah, obviously he was disappointed he, he wanted to be better but uh he said that he's he already he already knows in his own mind how he can be better and what he needs to do to be a better player and if you think of a guy that continually each season has just improved in in all the st- statistical categories uh in being a leader in carrying this team uh an mvp season and you still feel like there's a hell of a lot that he can work on which is which is just that's i mean it's just incredible uh I think one thing that you know when you when you look back on it, it was kind of frustrating and probably uh, as frustrating for him as anyone else was his free throw shooting and it's a little bit of a concern moving forward. I mean, he was shooting really confidently from three, but it seemed like a bit of a mental thing with Giannis at the free throw line. He shoots just sixty three percent from the from the uh, free throw line on eleven over eleven attempts per game in the playoffs, uh, which. I mean, that's re- I mean, not good enough. The Bucks can't have their guy who you want at the free throw line and you want attacking uh, as much as he did and then to, to get to the free throw line and not feel confident that he's going to knock them knock them down. So he got 73% uh, on, the, on the regular season. So he had a drop of uh, 10%. And it certainly felt uh, at times in Toronto on this series that uh, he was not even confident that he was going to hit rim on some of those. So certainly a mental... I think for Giannis, I'm sure uh, he'll be better, and I'm sure he'll be better for the experience. But uh, all in all, uh, I think when, and like I said, we'll go through uh, his season in more detail, but uh, an MVP-type season, or not an MVP-type season, he will win the MVP. uh, And just uh, another coming-of-age year, I guess, for Giannis.
2: Yeah, I think there's nowhere to go but up. I think Milwaukee is very fortunate that their franchise player is one that You can peg every year for learning from his shortcomings and trying to eliminate them. And I will say, I mean, just a a positive. I thought he looked more comfortable shooting threes. I mean, he didn't shoot a terrific percentage in the postseason, like 32, I think, overall. Uh, In this series, shoots 33.3%. So, I mean, that's something. He attempts 21 threes in six games, so more than three per game, and cans exactly a third of them. That's noteworthy, I think. It's it's good to see him get more comfortable with those. I mean, we've said this before. I think it does bear repeating. I mean, if Giannis becomes a, a decent to good three-point shooter, all of a sudden there's just no way to guard him because you can't do what the Raptors did to him, to Giannis, if he's very comfortable shooting open threes above the break. I mean, that's just you – just, you can't allow a guy who's going to shoot 35, 36 or better percent from three to take – that many open looks it's just not tenable
3: no and and full credit to mark budenhauser for this i mean out of all the positive things he did for the bucks the one thing that he said from day one uh, that he was hired and, and right through the season he said I'm telling Giannis to shoot the ball and he admitted at times that it was tough and Giannis was shooting what like 15% I think through October and November a really uh awful number. His shot did not look good, he did not look confident. And Bud kept telling him and he said, yeah, it's a little bit difficult at times to tell Giannis because he he's not sure about it and he doesn't want to shoot the ball. But uh he kept doing it and he stuck with it. And as in the in the final months of the season we really saw that start to pay off. And that's only going to improve. I mean, this is Giannis we're talking about. He's one of the, the, the just a, a, an absolute maniac uh, in, in the practice gym. I mean, he's not going to stop trying to get better. And uh, I think there's no doubt that he ends up being uh, an a- a average, perhaps above average, 3 point shooter. That's just that's just what he does. And he's only 24 years old. Uh, you know when you think about where he is as a player right now if that's where he ends up it's an mvp and he if he plays a whole whole career that way then it's 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 a hall of fame career for sure but he's not satisfied with that and there's still so much that he could do better and i think he will do that and it starts with the three but as i said he needed someone to guide him and, and give him confidence to do that and that's been mark budenholzer and the buck staff and uh, that's one of the bigger you know, developments through the season for mine and moving forward. And uh, I asked Bud about it today and he got a big smile on his face and, you know, he, he pointed to some of those threes he was shooting in the conference finals. He, he said this is a guy that was uh, not afraid to shoot but not comfortable shooting the ball at the start of the year. And now he's hitting big threes on the road uh, in the conference finals. It's uh, it's 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 been a, a just an incredible change for Giannis in the space of uh, six, seven months of working with, with Bud.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people took issue with some bud decisions, bud bud choices, bud strategies in this series. I do think that it's that can be a short sighted thing to do. I think he deserves so much credit for the way this whole season went for Giannis's continued development, although I think a lot of that just goes to Giannis himself too. But as I mean, as you just said, I mean the three pointers that probably doesn't happen. Without Bud, that certainly doesn't happen if Jason Kidd is still (laughs) around. Shout out to the Lakers. Good luck. Uh, Yeah, but I think, uh, I don't know, I think before we go here, should we quickly talk about some of the sort of problems people have had with with Coach Mike Budenholzer throughout this series? Yeah, kick it off. Well, I think first was one that, I mean, I I already talked a little bit about pick and rolls, whatever. I, I don't think that's as pressing in my opinion. I think, the minutes is the biggest that I've I've seen, and the one I want to talk about, um, you know, Game Six is a good example. The Bucks lose the game by six points overall. Giannis plays forty-one minutes. In those forty-one minutes, the Bucks are plus three, so they lost by nine points in the seven minutes he sat, including some crucial second-half minutes. Although he was on the floor for most of the twenty-six to three run, didn't stop it. But anyway, still. It is a little jarring to see Giannis only play 41 minutes in a game where, in a similar situation last year, we saw LeBron, who was much older, play 48 minutes, doesn't come out. Uh, LeBron didn't rest a lot that regular season. And LeBron is a superhuman. It's not ever fair to compare anyone to LeBron, and we both know that at times Giannis looked a little gassed in this postseason. But still, it is interesting, and I think I can see why some Bucks fans were frustrated at, Giannis' minutes being controlled all season. A lot of rest between each playoff series because of how quickly the Bucks dispatch their opponents to not see more of him in a decisive game six on the road.
3: Yeah, yeah. I I it I just and I think that the answer from Bud postgame was a little concerning. If you're gonna criticize Bud for anything, I mean, uh I I think he's probably um Real want to to trust everyone on the roster and get Giannis his rest. Um, in the end, was kind of costly in Game Six because I, I like I, I do understand why you you think it's best to have peak Giannis as he described it in the fourth quarter. Like it, it makes a lot of sense to me, but I just think when it's win or go home, even if Giannis is fatigued, having him on the floor is better than having him on the bench. I don't. I don't care how tired he is. Um, you need him out there, and and maybe it's not forty eight minutes. I, I mean, I, I think that's a little bit too much. But you get him a couple of rests in the in the first half. Use your timeouts. I mean, they had a couple of timeouts still at the end of the game. So like, figure out ways that you can keep him on the floor. And I, I thought. That that was a mistake. That Giannis minutes were down, and I know, you know, when Bud looks at the box score post game and he, he says, "Well, look, I mean, Giannis played 40 minutes." It's like, yeah, I, I understand he played 40, but he probably needed to play 45 in this game because, uh, you know, you pointed to the plus minus. I mean, he's a plus three, uh, in this in in 40 minutes. So then he's eight minutes off the floor. Obviously, the Bucks are, m- are minus nine, so, uh, they just needed him more. And, uh, I, I do wonder if that's something that's going to change moving forward or something that Bud will look at and wonder if that was a mistake. But, uh, I, I totally agree with you. He, he needed to be on the floor more than he was. And the, the rest needed to be, uh, managed a little bit better. Um, I, it was, it was just, you just knew when Giannis was off the floor, uh, that, that the Bucks were, were, were gripping on for, for dear life. And this was their season on the line. And, uh, it was frustrating.
2: Yeah, and I think just to sort of compound with that, um, you know, I think he could have, and certainly, I, I don't want to say certainly, in my opinion, which means absolutely nothing compared to Mike Budenholz's opinion. I want to make be clear about that. But I think lineups with more of the Bucks' best players should have played together more as well. Um, you look at the best in terms of plus minus over the course of the series lineup, and this is just 3 man groups not 5 man groups cuz there were so many 5 man groups not many played a ton but when Middleton, Brogdon and Giannis were on the floor they played together just 13 minutes in 6 games total. Bucks. This this doesn't seem like it can be right. That doesn't seem like enough minutes. That might be it says totals, I don't know. Anyway, Bucks were plus 9, but clearly those three did not share the floor a ton and I think part of that is because Middleton and Brogdon were staggered a bit uh to sort of both handled Kawhi Leonard, which makes some sense, but I think still, I mean, if both of those guys play thirty six minutes, they could play twenty four together and twelve each uh you know, solo or something like that. I just think you no know, those three players, those probably the Bucks three players in this series and I mean it's not rocket science. When those three guys are on the floor together, good things happen for Milwaukee. I think just having more lineups with all the best players could have helped a lot in this series.
3: Yeah, I think that's, again, I think, I think that's a big takeaway. When you look at all the X's and O's and the different things you would have liked to see the Bucks do, I think sometimes it's pretty simple. And they probably just needed to play their best players a little bit more. That's not what they did all season, but uh, this is the conference finals. It's not a regular season game in January. And typically the minutes go up. And, and while they did go up significantly, I guess, for these guys, uh, you probably would have liked to see, see them play even more. But... Look, we've probably got through as much as we really want to, I guess, from that uh, from that game six or that series. Like I said, we're going to talk about a few of the individuals. Obviously, it's a huge summer coming up. But before we go, I, I just want to, and I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but I just want to go through a couple of the free agents and then you just give me a yes or no if you think they are back next year. Oh, this is fun. Okay. Chris Middleton. Yes.
2: Malcolm Brogdon, yes. Brooke Lopez. This one hurts. I know he said positive things today. I think he's going to get a lot of money from someone else. I'm going to say no.
3: Okay. Nikola Mirotic.
2: Absolutely not. <laughs> I will. I will riot. <laughs> Sorry, yeah.
3: Nico. It's a rough, rough ending for Nico. One of the nicest people to talk to on the team. It was unfortunate. Uh, how it played out for him, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about him. Uh, not really, not a typical free agent, but I'll, I'll just say him anyway. George Hill.
2: Again, said nice. Uh, th- okay, I just want a side note. I think you quit. I think you tweeted the quote of George Hill saying, "Money never matters to me." Yeah, the, Buddy, uh, I was- You cannot sign with the Sacramento Kings for a boatload of money and say money does not matter to you. Nobody signs with the Sacramento Kings because they love playing for the Kings. No one is like, wow, Vlade Divac really won me over with his vision. That's why I'm going to sign here for $50 million or whatever. Big fan of George Hill. Love George Hill. Not buying that quote, George Hill.
3: Uh, I will say that that tweet of mine found Utah Jazz Twitter very quickly, and there were some interesting responses to that. But uh, So so you so you don't think he's back. That's basically what you said, right?
2: Um. Well, it's just the. Pro- I mean, we I mean, you know this. I'm a lot of people knowing. I mean, the Bucks not going to keep him for the option. I, I don't think there's any way you pay 19 million dollars for him. So then you release him, but then you can resign him. But the Bucks obviously going to be very very limited in what they can offer. And I just think he again had a really nice season, really nice postseason, and the double edged sword for that for the Bucks is, I think there will be suitors. I would like to say maybe I think there is a chance, but. I think there's a, a, also a pretty good chance that he ends up going somewhere else, but I'm going to say maybe I'm going to break the rules.
3: Okay, well I, I I'm very annoyed by that uh, on the fence response, but I will say <laughs> that uh, I, I think that George is back. I, I think that one thing I will say with with Hill's situation this is interesting. I, I think that you know obviously he has just been paid, so I, I think that he is at the point in his career and he is at the point in his career now and he did say this and it was a great i mean he's he's such a great interview i mean he gives such uh, thoughtful and insightful answers and i thought during the playoffs he, listening to him talk after games whether the bucks won or lost was uh it, it was one of the really enjoyable things of being able to be in that situation because he's just so calm he, he i think for this locker room he was just incredible uh and i, I think that As I said, he's just been paid. He's in a situation where he can do whatever makes him happy or makes sense for him. And I I think, and again, I could be wrong, maybe he goes and signs a $10 million deal, but I I, I think that he will probably be back and I think that will be a big part because he wants to be here. So we'll see. Uh, I think this is... You know, going to be a, a, the the question for a lot of guys. Uh, like I said, we will go into it, but just in mind, I think Milton Lopez, uh, Milton and Lopez are back next year in Milwaukee. I think Miritich is not. Uh, I don't think Brogdon's back, and I think George Ooh. Hill is back. And we can talk more about Brogdon. I've got my theory there, but I, I I think that he's going to get paid somewhere and he's going to go somewhere else and and uh, and probably get a bigger role. And we'll see. Uh, how he handles with that, but uh, we can talk more about that um, next time. So, if you got anything else you want to get off your chest about Game Six or the Conference Finals before we wrap this up,
2: uh, I'm happy to be able to listen to Drake again. I think that's all I got for now.
3: Wow, so you you're going back there? I think uh, when Bud was talking about. Uh, not watching Game Six for a while and not being able to stomach that. And today he sort of—I asked him whether he'd watch the finals, and he sort of said probably not. Um, I think I'm like that with Drake. I'm not going to listen to him for a while. He annoyed me too much during the series, so uh, I think uh, I think I'm out on Drake. I don't want to say forever, but certainly for quite a while.
2: I wish I wish I was loyal enough to say the same. I mean, I like his music a lot.
3: Yeah, I mean he's great, but he's also carries on like an idiot. And I was, oh, yeah. I was very, I was very glad that I was at the arena and I, I didn't have to watch it on TV, like like a lot of you guys, because that would have been even more annoying. I can they understand. show
2: him, they show him way too much. They 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 don't need to go to him as much as they do.
3: It's going to be a problem in the finals. That's all I'll say. It's going to be a problem. But Ty, we we we're not going to stop on the Eurostep. We're going to be back and we're going to keep doing uh, episodes. Probably two a week, I think at least one a week. We we need to talk through that our off season strategy. But uh, for now, the season portion is done, and we don't get to recap games anymore, and that's uh, that's pretty sad. It was a it was a strong playoff run. Uh, we jumped on late in the season with the Eurostep, step, but it's it's been a lot of fun, and hopefully, uh, we're moving on to bigger and better things as as we go forward. But thanks for joining me uh, on this. What day is it? Monday yeah thanks for joining me on yeah, this it is. Day. it is i'm tired i i, I don't really I, I i never remember what day it is anymore but i'm I'm looking forward to catching up on some sleep and uh yeah so thanks
2: for jumping on on monday night man hey thank you kane uh thank you for i mean as you said doing doing this podcast venture with me starting off with the trade deadline the irony in our first episode us being super super excited about Nikola mirotic is not lost on me <laughs> Um, that's how we started the Eurostep. Most recently, a little bit less excitement. But uh, thank you, Kane. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening along with us on this crazy ride the Bucks have been on. As Kane said, we will certainly be back. We have a lot more to talk about, even though the games are over. Uh, and, you know, we hope you continue to listen along with us. We hope you subscribe if you haven't already. Rate and review if you have nice things to say. And uh, we will catch you next time.
1: MyPatriotSupply.com